Well, thanks for uh, leading us so beautifully in worship, Michelle, and in prayer. Uh, my name's Stuart Starr. If we haven't met before, I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. It's wonderful to have you here today and to be turning our attention to this great topic of the resurrection of Jesus. And today, if this is your first day with us, we're delighted you're here. But everyone who's here, I want to extend the same invitation to. Today is a day I'd like to encourage you to consider changing your life because of what you hear. Now, that's a pretty big goal, isn't it? I'm going to pray that God would help us, and then I'm going to dive in. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what has been sung and read and celebrated. Thank you, Father, that we have a place to do that 2,000 years later. Help us today, right now, to be open, Father, to unclench our fists, to open our ears, to open our spiritual eyes, Father, that you might speak to us and by your Holy Spirit challenge and change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're talking about the fact that Jesus is alive. We've been talking about Jesus for a while. In fact, we're at church, so I've probably been doing it for a little while. Uh, we've been doing it for this term very specifically, and today we want to look at Jesus is alive. In order to do that, I want you to think with me a little bit uh, as we start. Uh, this will be pretty easy, good starter for you, uh, looking for some participation. Nothing's as certain as... Fantastic. Some of you are on the ball. Fantastic. Nothing is as certain as death and taxes. Now, if you'd said something else, I would have had to change the slide. That would have been very awkward for me. But you said the right thing, so well done. Nothing's as certain as death and taxes, except today. See, it's a, it's a strange world we live in. I'll tell you what's certain. We're not certain about death at all. In fact, the message that gets put out is, you're forever young. And when it comes to taxes, the only thing I ever hear governments talking about is tax cuts. Are things as certain as they used to be? I don't know. It's funny, the, uh, the Romans actually brought death and taxes together. Did you know this? There's a wonderful thing. Uh, the Romans, when they buried people, used to put a coin in their mouths. It was a coin to help them to cross over the river Styx. They quite literally brought death and taxes together. If you didn't have the coin, you wouldn't get from one side of the river into the underworld and potentially, if you'd done really well, into the Elysium fields. Death and taxes came together. Other people prepare for death in, def in different ways. And so uh, if you're a Viking, what we'd do is we'd bury you with an axe and a shield in order that you can go well into Valhalla. Incidentally, it doesn't seem like a very peaceful place if I need my axe and shield. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we'll make sure that you're prepared for the afterlife. We'll bury you with what you need in the afterlife. I was reading this week about uh, Hindus, and when they die, they place a lamp near the head of the dead person to guide their soul on the journey to the next incarnation. You see, we bury people with things to prepare them for the next life. There's a wonderful mob of people called Christians. Have you heard of them? Do you know what they bury people with? Nothing. That's pretty strange, isn't it? See, the other people are saying, we'll need to equip you for the next life. And Christians, no, they, they just put them there. But here's the thing in common with all of them. Every one of them believes there is an afterlife. You see, it's bound into our humanity to believe there's continuity to our existence beyond the grave. All humanity has believed this pretty much up till the weirdness that we have today. And in order to prepare people to get ready for this new existence beyond our death, 
this group of people, all of them, burned the bodies. Why? Because when my body's gone, it's been lifted up and it's taken to the next place. We burn the bodies. That's what they all did. Except the Christians. The Christians buried their dead. Quite remarkably, they buried their dead. Why? Because they had a unique hope. Hope in a bodily resurrection. They didn't need to be lifted up in smoke. This body would be brought alive again and spend the afterlife with their saviour. Christians buried with nothing because they expected to have everything provided for in the life to come. But you know what? We as a society today are in denial. We're absolutely in denial. We uh, wear makeup to hide the fact that we're ageing because don't let on that ageing happens. We make science to get cures to all the things that would kill us. So don't worry, there's going to be a cure for cancer. What they haven't found is a cure for life. You can cure cancer, and I want that to happen, but everyone who's cured of cancer will die still, won't they? We use makeup to hide, we make science to cure, and at funerals, we have make-believe to avoid the reality of what's going on. Make-believe at funerals, because we want to avoid the reality of what's going on. We cover it up, we try and solve it with science, and then we tell lies over coffins in funerals. That's what we do. But we'll all end up in the box. We will. We'll all end up in a box. And if that's a sobering thought today, here's a wonderful word from the Bible for us. It says in Ecclesiastes, pretty depressing book, but it's wise, it says this, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. So now you're glad you came to church, aren't you? We're really lifted up. Death is the destiny of everyone, all of us, and the living should take that to heart. Well, I hope you do that today. We're going to have a look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say and why it might be that it's okay to have heard that in church today. It's not the end of the world. I want to tell you a little bit about London. Uh, London grew and became the biggest city in the world. And as it did so, more and more people poured in. They started to live on top of each other. And people living on top of each other gets awkward pretty quickly, as anyone who's gone on a holiday in a tent knows. That's humour. See that? Or some of you don't go camping. Okay, very good. No, that's, that's all fine. In fact, you're at church, so you're probably not campers, are you? They're all gone. Okay, so, 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 so here we are, here we are. London had some problems. And, and what happened was they started to burn coal to make... Smoggy, got very smoggy. They also used to throw their stuff humans produce if they eat a bit, out the window and into the street. And what happened was that got a bit stinky. In fact, there's a thing called the Great Stink, which happened in 1857. And amidst the big stink, what everyone figured out was as people were dying, they thought, we know what the problem is. The problem is the thing called miasma or bad air. Bad air, that smell, is the thing that's killing everyone. What we need to do is get rid of the smell. And so there was a bit of work done on getting rid of the smell but people kept on dying. The problem was they didn't know what the problem was. So they're trying to find a solution. How do we get rid of the bad air? And what they eventually found out with science was 
it was the sewers that were the problem, or the lack of sewers. And so London did this incredible building frenzy under a guy called uh, Joseph Basil Getty, I think his name is. So, say it. Basil Jet. See, I only read it. Somebody knows how to pronounce it. Wonderful, thank you. I received this. So, uh, so they c- constructed 21,000 kilometres of sewer in London. And do you know what happened? Health went through the roof. If you don't have excrement lying around, guess what? Everyone does a lot better. The problem was they didn't know what the problem was, and that's the same for us as a society generally. I want to introduce you to two people in the Bible who found out what their problem was when they met God. The first one is a man called Isaiah. And one day Isaiah is in the temple. And all of a sudden, the Lord appears in the temple. And Isaiah is so humble, he says, I saw the corner of the trail of his robe and smoke filled the temple. He doesn't describe what God looks like. But here's what he feels. When God is in the house, here's what he feels. He falls to his knees and he says, woe to me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. See, when sinful people meet a holy God, the only answer is to go, I can't be here. I need to get away. Holiness and sinfulness don't meet. There's another another story, one that I'm sure you know. Jesus and his friends are out on a boat, and a huge storm blows up. Do you know the story? And Jesus stands up in the midst of the storm and he says, quiet, be still. And the storm dies down and the water is completely still. Now it's an amazing miracle, but Peter, who's on the boat, calls out like this, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the presence of holy power, the problem becomes immediately evident, and that problem is sin. The problem is that you and I, sinful people, people who don't live up to our own standards, let alone that of a holy God, when we meet a holy God, cannot be with him. Sin is our problem. And so what do we find at Easter? We find these incredible, incredible truths in Hebrews chapter 2, as was read for us before. The writer says this, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. See, what did Jesus do on the cross? He truly died. Oh, I'm I'm used to having a cross here. Did you know that? Do you see how I was just pointing to the cross? you've, You've heard of the cross. On the cross, Jesus truly died. He actually died. And he died... In our place, our sin deserved death, and Jesus died in our place, our death. That's incredible. And that's the Good Friday message. And here's what it achieved. It says in, uh, in verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So what happens? Jesus' death cleanses sinners. Better than that. Jesus makes us holy, and holiness makes us family. So you and I can be in the presence of the holy God when our sin is washed away. How brilliant. That's true freedom. I can approach God confidently because my sin is washed away. Uh, I like, uh, like sciencey things. 
Does anyone know how this bit of metal is up in the air? What's going on? It's a magnet. Better than that, it's an electromagnet. Thank you, Luke. That's the word I was looking for. So you have a bit of metal, and when you put current through it, it becomes a magnet. Incredibly powerful. Current, metal, magnetic. Guess what happens when you switch it off? It just falls to the ground. It's not magnetic anymore. It has incredible power while there's power running through it. Switch it off, does nothing. Or maybe you've seen it applied like this. You've got a door release. You know someone buzzes someone in? When you press the button, it releases the magnet that's holding the door, and the door opens. Kill the power, and the magnetic attraction ends. Kill the power, the door will open. Kill the power, and it'll drop. Have a listen to what it says Jesus has done for us in verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, there's someone who broke the power. Someone who turned off the power of death. Jesus defeats the devil. And in the process, he frees the fearful. Those who all their lives have been kept in slavery. Isn't that an incredible picture? In slavery to their fear of death. Now, I don't know how real that is for you, but for my sister, she told me that she used to go to bed crying herself to sleep because she was afraid of what would happen after she died. This is as a less-than-teenager. She just she knew death happened, and she was terrified of it. It had a hold on her. And she told me when, be, when she became a Christian in her teens... That fear was utterly released. Utterly released. That fear of death is gone. Why? Because Jesus rose before her. She can know she will rise with him. She will rise with him. Resurrection is the great hope of Christianity and it stares death in the face and crushes the power of fear. I'm in a bit of a London mood at the moment, so okay. Look, I told you the other day I've been watching The Crown. Did I tell you that? It's been happening. So uh, it's, good to be, it's good to be a monarch, yes? Small outhouse, you know, not too bad. You get along all right with that. Uh, Buckingham Palace. Now, uh, we're going back to World War II. Uh, we're in World War II. The king and the queen are living in Buckingham Palace, and they haven't left, despite the fact that Germans are bombing... London. That's pretty brave, right? But as, as the queen goes out and the king go out and they chat with people whose homes have been devastated, they kind of feel it's a little bit awkward, right? We're living in a palace and your tiny little thing is now a pile of rubble. There was a moment when all of that changed. In September 1940, the Germans bombed Buckingham Palace. And what changed, the Queen Mother said, what changed for her was all of a sudden she said, I could look the East End in the eye. I could look the East End in the eye. Why? Why? Participation in their suffering. Not merely sitting in a castle 
acknowledging that there was problems, but participating, sharing in the problem. Now listen to these beautiful words afresh in Hebrews chapter 2 about what Jesus did. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Can you see the beauty of this? Three things come from that. Number one, Jesus now has empathy to be our priest. He gets us because he walked in our shoes. He did a trade. He had a family. He knew what it was to wait for your moment to come. He bled. He wept at the funeral of a friend. He died on the cross. Jesus is the empathy to be our priest. He makes atonement to solve our sin. He dies in our place to solve our sin. How brilliant. He couldn't have done that if he wasn't made like us. And then it says he's able to offer us assistance to help us in our weakness. How wonderful. How long ago did Jesus die? This is rocket science, so just switch on. 2,000 years ago, right? Two millennia, long time. Now, I get that Jesus is able to be empathetic, maybe. I get that he made atonement, maybe. But how can he assist me in my weakness when he died 2,000 years ago? There's the answer. How can he do the third one? Because he's alive now. And so it's impossible for him to assist the weak if he's dead. His offer to be of great help to you is utterly worthless if there are bones in Palestine. Jesus is alive. That's how. Because Jesus is alive, he's able to offer us that incredible hope that we've just spoken of. But how do you know? Isn't that the question, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah. How do you know? How do you you know that he's alive? Well, let me take you. Heidi did a beautiful job of taking us to the garden, didn't she, Uh, when she was Mary Magdalene up the front here. Put us in her shoes, helped us experience what it was like to be her. I want you to think of that first morning, that dewy grass, the the thing. What's going on on Easter Sunday number one? What's happening then? Well, let me break it into two groups for you and then I'll have a bit of a chat. Number one, what are the men doing? The men are home afraid of the Jews. That's what it says. They're home doing precisely nothing. They are afraid and they are filled with grief and they are doing nothing on the first Easter Sunday. What about the women? What are the women doing? Well, the women are going to... Oh, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? What are they, what are they going to do? They're going to go and anoint a body, which tells you they're expecting to find a what? Yeah, you're good, you're good. They're going to find a body, aren't they? Why am I lugging kilograms of spices along to a, to a tomb if I'm expecting resurrection? The boys are home because they're not expecting resurrection. The girls are lugging spices because they are expecting 
a dead body to anoint. And when it's empty, Mary Magdalene, this incredible woman, when it's empty, she goes and she says to the others, they've taken the body. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to be celebrating the resurrection? And the response of the faithful ones is to stay home, bring spices for a stinky corpse, and when it's not there, say they have taken it. All I want to say is this. You didn't discover scepticism about the resurrection. It's there in the garden. Everyone was overwhelmingly sceptical. They had heard Jesus say on three separate occasions, I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise. And they went... And three days later, they were afraid, anointing, and looking for answers. Nobody said, this is what Jesus said. Now, if you're making this up, right, that's got to be a little bit uh, unfortunate, doesn't it? You've got to at least give me that. You'd, you'd edit it out, wouldn't you? The men led the women to the tomb where they awaited the resurrection of Jesus. Except they didn't. No one was expecting the resurrection. Let me give you four reasons to think that it might have, it might have happened. It might have happened. No, number one, the, the Romans are pretty good at crucifixion. Do you know that? You saw my nail on Good Friday. Some of you were here. You saw my nail. Smash that with a hammer through your wrist into the wood. Do it on the other side and put a spike through both feet. Drop the, drop the cross, which you're attached to, into a hole. And then when we think you're dead, in order to make sure, we're going to grab a spear and shove it up under your rib cage into your heart. Don't worry, it could have been a mere flesh wound. What rubbish. On top of that, why was Jesus crucified? What was the sign above him? Does anyone remember? The king of the Jews. So I just want to check this out. The Romans have killed an insurrectionist, someone who's trying to overthrow Caesar, and they're going to let down a still-breathing body from the cross. How likely is that? They'll stab him another six or seven times if they need to. If you don't know, the flogging would have killed him anyway. But let's crucify him and then shove a sword in his side. All I want to tell you is it's utterly ridiculous to think anything other than off the cross is dead. The Romans were past masters at killing people and they knew how to do it. The only reason Jesus isn't in the tomb on a cross is because the Romans knew he was dead. Point number two. I think this is the interesting one for me. Let's say all of that's not true. Um, The unequivocal historical thing is that Jesus was crucified. Everyone says that. The Jews say that. The Romans say that. The Christians say that. Everybody knows Jesus was killed. That's fine. But let's say that's wrong, just for a moment. You just told me that Jesus was crucified because he was claiming to be the king of the Jews. Let's say he lived. 
he starts wandering around. Because what, what happens next? It's like a joke, right? It's one of those Irish jokes. You get to the end of the year, you go, ha ha, and then you go, what happened next? Something awkward, right? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is alive and starts wandering around Palestine. Who wants him dead? The Romans would, wouldn't they? He beat death, and now he's wandering around Palestine. What are you going to do if you're a Roman? We're going to arrest him and kill him a second time. Who handed him over to the Romans to be killed? The Jewish ruling authorities? Do you think they'd have wanted him dead if he had claimed to be alive afterwards? Yep, they would have been after him. And so I think because we don't know what happened after he came alive other than the Bible story, what's your alternative theory? He survived crucifixion and then wandered around Palestine as the most famous man of his age, avoiding the Romans who wanted him dead, the Jews who wanted him dead, and a bunch of Christians who are now proclaiming him as God and was never found again. Doesn't check out, does it? What about the third one? Where's the tomb of Jesus? Where's the tomb of Jesus? What city is it in? Jerusalem. Do you know where the Christians first proclaimed that Jesus was risen from the dead? Did you know it was in Turkey? No, it's a lie. It wasn't in Turkey. Where did they do it? Jerusalem. I just want you to think about how audacious that announcement is. Hey, folks, recently crucified, rebel with a cause, laid in that tomb there. Now, we just want you to know he is alive again. If I'm going to tell you a lie, I don't want to do it in the city where you can go and find the stinky corpse. Are you with me? The Christians proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus in the place where his tomb was down the street and where his cross was probably being used for the fifth time. It's staggeringly audacious, isn't it? This man is so alive, we are, we're going to stare you in the eyes and say, in Jerusalem, Jesus is risen from the dead. That's audacious at the very least. Point number four. Everyone who said that Jesus was alive died confessing it was so. Do you know who this is? It's not recorded in the Bible how Peter died. But outside of the Bible, people say that Peter was crucified. Can you see a problem with his crucifixion? It's upside down. Do you know why it's upside down? Peter said, because he denied Jesus three times, he said, I am not worthy. When the, when the Romans were going to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. Now, he died declaring that Jesus was risen from the dead. And so did the rest of the disciples, with one exception. John who died in jail, proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I want to suggest to you, if it's a conspiracy, why is everyone dying for it? Someone's going to hold a press conference and say, I doctored the ball, aren't they? Jesus is alive. It's the best account for what happened. It's the best account for the evidence that we have. But you might still say, so what? Well, let me show you a, uh, a real estate reason because they're, they're our major reasons, aren't they? This is the most valuable land in Sydney. Does anyone know where it is? 
It's Waverley Cemetery. Do you know how valuable it is? A little plot about the size of your body, about the size of your body, you can get a whole bunch of different leases. You can get a 25-year lease, 25 year lease. Who knew? I don't know what happens after that, incidentally, but you get a 25-year lease, you get a 50-year lease, you can get a 75-year lease, but if you want to go for the granddaddy of them all, you can get a 99-year lease. Now, if you go for the 99-year lease, you are saying that you are ready to drop 65 and a half grand. Anyone up for that? But you'll have a sea view, so that's pretty good. Can I let you in a little secret? You're not going to enjoy the view. Here's the thing. I'm saying Jesus is alive, and I want to remind everyone here today, you'll get your turn in a box. Why does it matter? Because every one of you will get your turn in a box. And here's the really scary stuff. You ready for this? Some of you will be in a box right here. I'm saying Jesus is alive and I'm saying it makes all the difference in the world. Do you know the fear of death? Do you know sin? Do you want freedom? If you want freedom, there's a great exchange that needs to be made. To get this cage open, to become free, a great exchange needs to take place. There's an amazing quote from a guy called Jim Elliott. It's it's April Fool's Day today, right? You can't miss this as a preacher, right? April Fool's Day. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive. No joke. There's this incredible quote. This guy who uh, is a missionary said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Today is a great opportunity for you to stop hanging on to your life which you can't keep yourself. To give it to the one who will never let it go and receive in exchange life eternal. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm saying Jesus is alive. And I think it makes the best sense of the evidence. I think it's the most incredible offer that you will ever hear, but I want to remind you what the alternative is, and it's this. Oh, I've got to make sure I get around the right way. Australians apparently love it when we talk straight. I'm going to tell you, if you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, you have a life filled with morality, dignity, and hope. If you believe that didn't happen, if you believe there is no resurrection of the dead, you are saying this is the sum total of your life. You are compost, your worm food. That's what you're saying. If there's no hope beyond the grave, you're saying, I exist to fill the bellies of tiny little creatures. My life is utterly worthless. It will have no lasting outcome. I'm a bag of compost. I want to offer you today Christ or compost, faith or fertilizer. And I want to say to you, this is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. 
Real freedom is found getting rid of this and taking hold of Christ. How would we do it? I said today I was going to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me today to say thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I want to give you an opportunity to say I am sorry for my sin. I know that I've hurt you, God, and I've hurt others. And I want to give you a chance to say please forgive me and come into my life as king. Now I'm going to pray that prayer and I'm going to leave a space for you to be able to pray it yourself. As I said on Friday, if you want to pray that out loud, you can. If you want to pray it silently in your heart, God's listening, it's no, no issues. But today is a great day to get saved. Today is a great day to have hope beyond the grave, to know the freedom that Jesus offers. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. I am sorry for my sin. I know I've hurt you and others. Please forgive me. Please come into my life as king. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time today, great news. It's not only a good Friday, good Sundays happen as well. Praise God. We would love you to let us know if you've done that. So uh, if you've done that, come back again. Church is all right. A little bit warm today, but it's normally pretty good. Come back again. You've got a card on your seat. Can everyone have a go at um, picking up a little card that looks like, uh, looks like this? Um, and when you're doing that, use it to fan the person next to you. So that'll be, that'll be great. So this, okay, you want to notes? Yeah, there we go. That's good. Great. Grab the card out. I want you to have a look at it. It has an opportunity for you to say, I'd like to let you know that I prayed the prayer. If you did that for the first time today, put your name on it, tick the box. We'd love to know. Here's why. Because it's the most exciting decision you can make in your life and we'd love to help you keep going. We're not going to send you any steak knives. You won't get spammed. But we'd love to say hi and celebrate with you. So you might like to tick that box and say, I prayed the prayer. Alternatively, you might like to come to a thing I call Jesus for the Curious. There's a a little flyer like this on the uh, table at the back. Jesus the Curious is four weeks on a Tuesday night where you can ask your questions and think some more about Jesus. Today might have got you right up to the edge and you've gone, I could have prayed, but I've got a few questions. Jesus the Curious is for that. Just tick the box there that says, I'd like to do Jesus the Curious and we'll get in touch with you. Or alternatively, you might like to let someone know that you'd like to talk some more and we can do that. I did say the same thing the other day. I said to uh, those of you who are Christians here, is it good news? Hope you're free. Freedom's our theme today. Birdcage everywhere. Why? Because we are no longer enslaved by our fear of death. That's our great joy. And if that's true, you probably should tell someone. I'm going to give this a second shot tonight. Why don't you bring someone along who needs to hear it? I started off by saying nothing's as certain as what? Here's what I want to tell you now. Nothing's as certain as death and resurrection. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're the great and mighty God. You've done something incredible in that garden. You raised your son. You defeated death. You broke the power of the devil and you offer us freedom. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would take hold of that great freedom. That you give those of us who've been walking in it for many years renewed confidence 
those of us who are just starting, the ability to run the race to the final day when we meet you face to face. Father, I thank you for empty coffins at Christian funerals because we know you provide everything we need. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got that uh, card, Luke will tell you a little bit more about where to put it and uh, we'll finish up. I'll leave the compost there as a help. <laughs>